This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. The scripture this morning on which the sermon is based is Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, when my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord. Do I seek? Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me, uh, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. All right. Good morning. How are you guys? Great. It's good to see you guys. That's an amazing song. For those of you who do city Bible reading with us, you know that was last Saturday's psalm that we read. And so all week, I chose to be reflecting on that psalm so I could share with you today. And the way I've been preparing for today and the way I view today is as a devotional. So I'm going to walk us through certain parts of this psalm. uh, And what I mean by devotional is that we're not going to have time or be able to hit every single part of the psalm, but you're going to want to take that insert with the sermon text on it. And when I say in verse one or in verse two or in verse 10, it could be helpful to look there because we are gonna jump around a bit. Uh, So my purpose today is to expound upon the purpose of the psalm and its original intent. Now this psalm is a psalm of confidence. And if you go all the way back to the call to worship today and the songs that we sang, we declared over and over the strong, or I mean, I should say, the strength and confidence we have in the Lord. This is a psalm of confidence, and a psalm of confidence is meant to be sung together in a congregation to cultivate even more confidence. So it's interesting. So when we sing songs, for example, and you read the lyrics and sing the lyrics, I know that there are some times when you think to yourself, I want this to be true about me, but it's not true right now. I want to have this confidence in the Lord. I want to have the joy that I'm singing about, but 
That's not my experience today. The purpose of singing and the purpose of the Psalms, particularly Psalms of confidence, is to instill and cultivate in us how we ought to feel. So the Psalms are designed, particularly this Psalm of confidence, to cultivate confidence in us. And so we read today that David is in pretty rough shape. I mean, he's talking about actual physical enemies coming against him and attacking him. Now, the way that functions for us is that although we probably don't have physical enemies coming after us, we understand that all throughout the Psalms and the rest of the Bible, there's more than a physical enemy. In fact, this Psalm depicts life as a battle. And that's not uncommon to the Bible. The Bible says that there is a battle all around us for our love, for our affection, for our joy, and we are being attacked in many cases. And so for David, in this psalm, to say, I'm being attacked physically, the way that it functions for the rest of the people of Israel who sang this psalm in the congregation for hundreds and thousands of years, to now, we understand that the point is that if the Lord can be faithful here in this unbelievably trying circumstance, surely he can strengthen me in every challenge I have in my life. And so that is the purpose of this psalm, to strengthen us in every challenge of our life. So why would I choose it for today, though? Why would I choose this psalm for today? Why would I want to talk about confidence? Well, I can get at my purpose by asking you this. What do you worry about? What are you afraid of? What makes you ask yourself, what if, or should I have? Or what will they think? Or am I good enough? Or will I fail? Maybe you worry about your kids. Maybe you worry about your kids' health, your health. Maybe you're worried right now about the phone call that you got on Friday afternoon from the doctor that said, hey, I need you to come in on Monday because I wanna talk about some of the test results. What is worrying you today? What, what are you worried about now? I understand, David understands, and we understand that we all are restless in the face of worry until we find confidence. Our mind is fighting for confidence. When we're worrying, we try to rationalize it. We try to figure it out. We try to find rest in that moment. Uh, recently, I took a flight to Chicago now, I'm not a scared flyer. I don't get nervous. Even if there's a lot of turbulence, it's just, I'm just reading. And I don't really care. At home, I read with kids climbing on me. And in an airplane, I read with us shaking through the air at 30,000 feet. That's just kind of how I view it, right? I figure, hey, I'm safer now than I would be driving my car to Maitland because that's really far away. And Chicago's not that far in, a, in an airplane. And so statistically, I'm safer now. So I think about these types of things as I'm flying. But this day was particularly bad. It's particularly bad. At one point, <clears throat> I realized the flight attendants haven't stood up yet. And we're like halfway through the flight. And right as that thought went through my mind, uh, we, we hit an air pocket and dropped. And I literally saw books and Kindles and things fly into the air. And I almost lost my iPad. And at that moment, that's when I began to think, should I be worried? Should I be afraid right now? And I looked at the guy next to me and he's like white knuckling uh, everything. He's just looking, he shut the shade and he's just white knuckling. 
And so as I'm thinking about it, my mind goes here. My mind thought, what if we crashed? Like, what if that actually happened? And I went immediately to my wife and my two daughters. And I, and I thought, who would take care of them? Who would protect them? And then I thought, this isn't a bad thing, but I thought, well, we have good life insurance. She'll be fine. That's exactly what I thought. But then I realized that wasn't enough for my comfort, okay? So then I thought, but, but more than that, like, that's great, but who would comfort them? Like, who would do all the things that a dad does in a daughter's life? Who's going to be there for Leah? And at that moment, I, I, I legitimately, viscerally thought to myself, Damien, you are not in control of your life. You are not in control of your life. In that moment, I realized that only God is strong enough for my ultimate confidence. Now, of course that's true. Of course we read that in the Bible. Of course you've heard it in Sunday school if you grew up in church. But we all have those moments where it becomes so palpably clear to us that we are out of control. And the only thing we can instill our confidence in is the Lord. He's the only thing strong enough. Now, the psalm expounds upon this idea. And as I take us to the psalm, I want to expound by asking three questions, okay? So the first of these questions that I want to talk about is this. What is confidence? What is confidence? Now, I want to walk through the first three verses, uh, the imagery that David gives us when we talk about confidence. So you look at verse one with me. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, the Bible talks a lot about the Lord being our light. And light in the Bible is not just illuminating our path, It's also protection. Think about this. When light goes into darkness, darkness cannot get in light. So when David says, the Lord is my light, he's saying, not only does he light my path and lead me, but he also protects me on the path. And in those moments when when I need him to save me, he is my salvation. He rescues me. Whom shall I fear if the Lord protects me? like light keeps away darkness. And if the Lord saves me like a strong savior. Then in verse two, he gives us this vivid image. So the idea here of evildoers who assail him and eat up his flesh, it's like a wild animal. So imagine David in a field alone with wild animals, packs of them coming after him. He has no weapons that can help him. He has no one behind him. And at the moment that they are about to eat his flesh, it's as though a pit in the ground opens up and they fall and stumble. So if that is true, then who shall I fear? And then in verse three, he says, okay, so so what about this? What if I'm alone and an entire army is coming against me? He says, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though an entire war arise against me, yet... I will be confident. That's pretty strong. That's very strong. It's poetic. It's passionate. It's persuasive. It's powerful. But confidence in the Bible also has to be proved. Now later we'll talk about how David's confidence is proved at the end of the psalm. But right now, I want to ask this. What are you putting your confidence in? Simply put, confidence in the Bible is trust. It's utter reliance upon something. 
So now, Ted and I briefly talked about this on Friday, and he said that many times you have heard him refer to biblical trust as sitting in a chair, right? You can look at the chair. I can see you sitting in the chair. I can ascertain that the chair looks pretty strong, but I'm not actually trusting and relying upon it to hold me up unless I sit in it, right? Now, recently on a TV show, I saw this uh, very, very clearly. So maybe some of you have seen this. I I don't remember where, uh, what TV show it was on. I saw it on YouTube, but Uh, The story was about a man who designed a table saw. Now, you know what a table saw is, right? It's a table with a saw in it, okay? But what makes a table saw so dangerous is that as you're pushing wood on the table through the saw, you're, you're pushing your fingers towards this thing that's spinning really fast, and people cut off their fingers a lot. It happens. I had a shop teacher, this is a true story, cut off his finger at school, right? It's dangerous. You get tired, so as you can see, you don't want that to happen, and so... What this man did, who uses a table saw often, he said, I like my fingers. I'm going to design a table saw that as soon as skin makes contact with the blade, it stops. And so he did. And they show it. And he's showing the blueprints and he's showing uh, the technology. And then they look at him and they said, but we want to see it work now. We've seen the blueprints. We want to see it work. So he gets a hot dog. I guess it's close to his skin. And so he pushes it through, and as soon as, they showed it in super slow motion, as soon as the the hot dog touched the blade, it stopped. And the casing of the hot dog was not even broken. It was amazing. So then they went to commercial, but that still wasn't enough for them when they came back. They said, we want you to put your finger on the saw. And so he looks legitimately nervous. You can tell he'd never tried this before. Maybe he did. It was good acting if he hadn't. So... Uh, it's not live television, which I think is good for them. And so they're pushing it through. And right when his finger touched the blade, it stopped. It didn't even break the skin. It was amazing. That is confidence. That is trust. He didn't just have a blueprint. He didn't just watch something else close to his finger be saved. He actually touched the blade. That is biblical faith. So let me ask you this, is that your faith? Do you have confidence like this? Now, you may not have people coming against your life like David did, but maybe there are things coming against your business. Maybe there are things coming against your image, your dreams, your children, your livelihood. What do you do in those moments? Do you rely? Do you you rely? You put everything into your trust in the Lord? Or do you run to anxiety? For me, I'm a problem solver. I always have been. So I try to gain control of the situation. I make game plans and say, if this doesn't work, I'll do this. If this doesn't work, I'll do this. And then finally, maybe I'll trust in the Lord. Maybe I'll put my confidence in the Lord. But biblical confidence, the confidence that David talks about and wants us to cultivate is a confidence where we have utter reliance on the Lord. And if we are honest with ourselves, none of us have the type of confidence that we want to have. None of us have the confidence that we want to have. We know that biblical confidence is utter reliance and trust. But as soon as we start realizing what it is, we long for more of it. And so that raises the second question. If I don't have what I want, how do I cultivate this confidence? Now, in a real sense, the psalm itself is meant to cultivate our confidence, okay? It's a psalm of confidence. That's the point. 
The point is, when we sing it, we declare it. And when we declare confidence together, our confidence is increased in every struggle in our life. That's how psalm of confidence function. But more specifically in this psalm, I find a rhythm of four movements, four (coughs) disciplines, four movements that cultivate our confidence. And we're going to clip through these four things. But before we do that, I want to tell you what my hope is for you today. I want to tell you what my desire is. I think you'll hear them and you'll resonate and you'll say at least, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good idea. But my desire, my prayer for us this week was that at the end, we would move beyond, yeah, that's a good idea too. How do I cultivate that in my life? How am I going to build these movements into my life? How am I going to cultivate my confidence in the Lord? That's my hope with these four movements. So here are the movements of this rhythm. A rhythm is something that happens cyclically, right? Just like the psalm was sung on a regular basis. These things happen regularly and repeatedly and increasingly in our life. First, we cultivate confidence when we remember the Lord's strength. Look with me in verse one, second half. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? KJV, King James, that version says strength of my life. ESV says stronghold of my life. The ESV footnote says refuge. So what David is saying in any of these cases is that the Lord is my only protection. You could translate it this this way. The Lord is the force and protection of life itself. He is the keeper of my life. The only reason I am alive is because the Lord is the stronghold of my life. He is my refuge. Now what could be running through David's head at this point? Do you just make this bald assertion? He was King David, no way. He's speaking from experience. Maybe he's thinking about Saul, you know, the king before him who actually threw a knife at him and pinned him against the wall, who hunted him for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Later in the story, you read his son, Absalom, went on a smear campaign against him, tried to steal his kingdom, slept with his wives, did horrendous things, And in every case, the Lord protected him. So David speaks from experience. He realizes the Lord is the only stronghold of my life. So here's David's point here. Our confidence grows as we experience God's deliverance. You know this in your life. When you look back and remember what God has done in your life, your confidence grows. And the more you experience, the more you grow. And the more you reflect on your experience and remember it, the more your confidence develops. It's cultivated. Remembrance in the Bible is a wonderful thing. It's a discipline that God has built in to the very nature of his people's worship. Think about the Passover. Every year the Passover is celebrated to remember what? To remember the overarching theme of redemption in the Old Testament. When God takes his strong hand and saves his people from the most powerful man and kingdom on the earth, the most developed army at that time, God goes in and saves his people. And every year they remember. So when they're having the Passover dinner, their children say, Daddy, why do we do this? And they tell the story. They remember. And every year their confidence increases. 
as they reflect upon how the Lord delivered them. Jesus does, institutes the same thing in the Lord's Supper. He says, as often as you take of this bread and drink of this cup, do it in remembrance of me. It's not merely a remembrance. It actually does something in our life. In the Bible, when we come up, I would call it iteration, when we keep coming against different iterations over and over and over, it's not because we're slow. It's because that's how things work. As we remember, we grow. As we remember, we develop. Our confidence grows. Now, if you look, he says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Now, of course, he's talking as the representative, writing this psalm to the entire people of God. But also, he says, my life. So you and I will cultivate confidence as we remember the strength of the Lord, not just in redemptive history, although that's the foundation, but also when we remember how that has worked itself out in our own story. When we look back, there are times in your story when you say, if God's strength had not showed up there, I don't know where I would be. If God had not delivered me right there, I don't know if our marriage would still be intact. If God did not deliver me right then, I don't know if I would be sober right now. What is it for you? Because as you remember your own story in the context of redemptive history, what God is doing, you will cultivate your confidence in the Lord. So the first movement that we must repeatedly do is remember the Lord's strength. The second way we cultivate our confidence is by seeking the Lord's face. I see this in verse four and verse eight. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's verse four. Then verse 80 picks up this idea again. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your, Lord, uh, your face, Lord, do I seek. In verse four, David talks about his most fundamental desire. He's saying, Lord, whatever happens, I want your presence. And he expounds upon that by saying, I want to see your face. What is, what is it with face? Why is that there? Why does he say, why did the Lord command his people to seek his face? We see kids do this all the time. Livy, my daughter, my oldest daughter is in this habit right now. If I break eye contact with her for a millisecond when she's talking to me, she grabs my face and she turns it to me. She says, daddy, look at my face. Look at my face. Are you looking at my face? I can't look away. Why? Well, she instinctively knows that some deeper type of communication happens when we're face-to-face. It's a deeper type of communication than if she saw the top of my head looking at my phone or the side of my head looking over her shoulder, trying to figure out when I can go do what I really want to do instead of listening to her go on and on and on. Parents, you understand this. Big brothers and sisters, you understand this. It's, It's hard sometimes. But she understands instinctively, I need his face. If I'm going to have him, I need his face. And so that's why David says, I seek your face, Lord. David is asking for continual access to the Lord himself, personal access. So how will he do this? How do we know he does this, right? So seek my face, that sounds good. Seek the Lord. How do I seek the Lord? How did David seek the Lord? Well, there are a couple clues in verse four that tell us he's actually thinking about public worship. And these are the clues. 
Uh, you'll see the, word, the phrase house of the Lord in verse four. You'll see the word temple. These are words that would turn the listener's focus to public worship. David is saying, I will seek the Lord's face in the midst of the congregation in public worship. But we know that's not the only place that he did it because in the other Psalms, he talks about meditating on the law of the Lord on his own. So he's talking about worship, both publicly and privately. That's how he will seek the Lord's face. That's how he will seek communion with the Lord. That's how the Lord has prepared a way for him to seek his face. So we're not just onto something new here at New City when we emphasize public worship, seeing Jesus in public worship, seeing Jesus in private worship repeatedly, constantly, weekly, daily, increasingly. We use these words because they're in the Bible. And we see David saying, one thing I seek, and it's not magic. He has in mind public worship and private worship. And so my question is, are we gonna cultivate confidence in the Lord? We must. It's assumed, but how? Well, first, we remember the strength of the Lord. Then we seek the Lord's face. And I think David's saying in public worship and private worship. Those are places where we seek the Lord's face. When we do that, we can be sure that over and over, our confidence will be cultivated and increase in the Lord. But David's not just a worshiper seeking God's face. He's also a pilgrim committed to God's way. So that's the third movement to this rhythm. We cultivate confidence when we commit to the Lord's way. This is verse 11. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Teach me your way. This is discipleship. You see that word, way? You can look, it's on verse 11 in your handout. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me on a level path. David understands that confidence in the Lord is cultivated by following him. In the Old Testament, this is usually described as walking after the Lord. So David is attuned to this. My life must be daily committed to following the Lord because I will follow someone. Remember, the context is battle. And at the end of verse 11, he says, teach me your way, O Lord, because of my enemies. The idea is that if I fall off the way, there are things against me ready to attack me, ready to distract me, ready to pull me away, ready to try to cloud my vision of you, Lord. So please teach me your way and lead me. This is discipleship. Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. This is a repeated thing. This is a rhythm that we cultivate. Our confidence grows in the Lord when we recognize day by day, I need you, Lord, to lead me. Even in realizing that, our confidence moves away from our, stra- our strategy. Our confidence moves away from our own control. And we place our confidence squarely upon the Lord. David says, lead me on a level path. He's not asking for comfort. What is he asking for? A level path. This is a moral term. He's asking for progress. He's saying, Lord, when I follow you, I need you to to transform me. I need you to bring progress in my life. I want to grow. I need to grow. And his desire to grow, his desire for the Lord to lead him is him daily committing to the Lord's way. David knows that's up to him to commit himself to the Lord, but it is the Lord who provides the growth. 
That's what he says. Make my way level, Lord. Transform me. Move me forward. And again, this is why at New City we want to be a discipleship church because we understand that life is a battle. And the question is, who are we walking with? Who's, who are we, who are, who's ahead of us? Who, who are we following who's following the Lord? Who are we linking arms with in walking in the Lord's way every day, day in, day out? Who, who are we with? We want to be a discipleship church because we understand that our only confidence is following the Lord as he leads us and his people. So we've seen that we remember the Lord's strength and it cultivates our confidence. We've seen that we seek the Lord's face and that cultivates our confidence. We've seen that we commit to the Lord's way and that cultivates our confidence. And the last movement in this rhythm of cultivation that I see in this psalm is we believe and we wait. This is in verse 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. David ends the psalm with two more verses of declaring his confidence. Now some psalms end with the praise of deliverance. They end in such a way where David says, all of these things I've asked for, they've been answered, praise the Lord. But that's not how this psalm ends. David says, I believe and I will wait. Now to be honest with you, I find a lot of comfort in this. Because waiting in the Bible is not passive. Waiting in the Bible is an admonition to live in continued confidence. The reason David ends here is because he wants to point us back to the first three verses where he says, remember all of those images of confidence that I gave to you? Remember all of the movements that I moved through to cultivate that confidence? When we're waiting on the Lord, we're not passive. He's saying we move forward. Some of you are so confused in your life right now. There, there's stress, there, there's confusion, there are decisions to be made, really difficult ones. There are really difficult family situations and you've prayed and you've asked and you have no idea what's gonna happen. As a pastor, I think this is one of the most difficult things is that I want to give you answers. And most of the time, I can't. Most of the time, what I say and what we must say is, I don't know. I don't know, but I do know this. The Lord is worth waiting on. The Lord is worth waiting on. He's proved himself that we can believe in him. As we remember how he's brought us through this in the past, we can have confidence that, as David says, we will look upon the goodness of the Lord. That's verse 13. We may not know why, but we will see the goodness of the Lord. And for me, that always raises this third question, which is, what secures our confidence? So we know confidence is trust. We know that we can cultivate confidence very practically by disciplines, and the Lord expects us to, but ultimately, 
in the midst of that confusion, what will secure my confidence? Confidence is one of those things that we kind of got to cultivate it before we're in this moment. Now, of course, if we haven't, the Lord will meet us there. But as a pastor, one of the things that I find most comforting is when I don't have the answer. And the question in my mind after, Lord, please help me, what should I say? One of the questions that I frequently ask is, what secure foundation can I point them to? Where can I tell them to trust? And how do I apply that to this situation? As as a pastor, there are times where all I can say is this. I don't know. But what I do know is that the Lord will not forsake you because he forsook his son. I don't know, but what I do know is the Lord will not turn his face from you because he turned his face away from his son. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I do know that the Lord is your salvation and he is the stronghold of your life. And if we try to put your or my confidence in anything else, it's not worthy. In verse 10, David says, in essence, those who care about me the most, he says, my mother and my father have forsaken me. Now, the point isn't that that happened. The point that he's saying is that who cares about me more than my parents? Who wants my best more than how my parents ought to want my best? But even my parents, they won't be able to protect me. Think about my flight in Chicago. I could have died. In that moment, I wouldn't have been able to protect my family. But my confidence is that even when I am not strong enough, even when I cannot be a stronghold, even when I cannot protect my family, that is where the Lord's strength begins. He's the foundation of our confidence. He is the refuge of our life. So even when we don't know the answer, we know our secure confidence is that the Lord was forsaken so that we can have the face of God, so that we can be invited in to his presence day and night. We can have access to the Father constantly. Let's pray.